Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 38 and read down to verse 42. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. <clears throat> Let's read it together. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you so much for this time you've given us to come and to worship you. God, we also thank you, Lord, whether it's something we're significantly mindful of or celebrate regularly or not. God, we're thankful for this season, this Lent season, as we're making our way towards Easter. God, this time of reflection, this time of repentance. God, this time of self-sacrifice. God, that as we've read through your word in Matthew chapter 5, God, you've constantly reminded us that it's about letting go of ourselves and grabbing a hold of you and what it is you have and where it is you're leading us. God, let us see what it is that you want from us rather than our own desires. God, let us see the paths you would have us to walk rather than our own paths. God, let it be hard change. God, let it be what you call us to. God, let us hear from you. God, let us see from you this morning. God, let it be your words and not my own. God, humble me behind your cross. Lord, we just come as broken, sinful people in desperate need of you every moment of every day. God, bless our time and bless the reading of your word. Lord, let it be for your glory and honor. God, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Church, as we continue on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we're going to be going from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And Jesus, like we talked about in the last couple weeks, Jesus is taking some Old Testament laws and he's bringing clarity to them. His intentions are to reveal to us kind of the true intent of what these laws are meant to do, not to ratify the law, not to say that the law has no place, not to say that the law doesn't apply, but he's bringing it back to our heart, to the heart space at which our actions, our intentions, our motivations come from. You know, and so we've, we've, we've navigated several different things, whether we're talking about anger or lust or divorce. Last week we talked about kind of oaths and how we're seen, how we viewed our letting our yes be yes and our no be no. You know, being defined by a foundational point of view, a foundational stance on who God is and what Christ has done in our own word as people. And so this morning we continue on in this view, kind of this look of this particular instance. And as we read it, it seems very odd. And, 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 it can, and for them, it was very countercultural, especially because of the way and the reason why Jesus is having to reiterate and kind of bring clarity to some of these uh, Old Testament laws because of how the religious leaders and how the people of the day and age and the culture had kind of manipulated these laws to suit their own needs, right? To justify their own actions. And so what Jesus does here is he's wanting to bring clarity to something. He's wanting to bring clarity to something and want to really focus in on something that for us as people is very difficult. 
And it's fighting against, resisting the desire for revenge or to avenge, right? You know, in, in, in reality, you know, this week as I was looking, some of the most popular movies, some of the most popular books that are out there are books or movies about revenge, right? And it, 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 especially if it's something the bad guy gets, the, the good guy gets the bad guy and all's well and all's good. And, you know, we, we just love those tales. And then there's also the ones that it's more of a cautionary tale of revenge, right? Where the revenge leads them down a dark path and there's no good for anybody at the end. You know, those stories we love. And I think the reason we love stories about revenge, for one, because within us, built in within us, is we want to see people get what we think they deserve, right? Like that's within us. Like they've done something wrong. There needs to be something done wrong to them. And so, you know, as we kind of look through this and we kind of navigate uh, this, this space, you know, we're it built into us is this idea of what we believe justice is, right? We, what we want to see happen, how we want to see things play out. And so what Jesus does here is he begins to clarify. And so I'm going to be pretty quick this morning. I say that and then it'll be like 1030 and we'll be getting out. But, you know, because there's a lot here, but it's very focused, and so what he really wants to do, and Jesus does what he's done the last three weeks, is that he says, you have heard it said. And so what he's doing is he's wanting to mention what you've heard in the law, what you've, what you've been told, what you've understood. And so how does he start it? First off, letting us understand this thing, number one, is the law. Let's understand the law. What was it intended for? Why is he giving them this? In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he says, you have heard... So he's referencing the law like we had talked about before. You have heard, and then he says in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so that's probably not uncommon to maybe something, a phrase that you've heard. I mean, even non-Christians have probably utilized or heard this phrase into some point of view or some, some way, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, whatever it might be. And so... Jesus is referencing an Old Testament law. So like we do every week, we like to go back and let's read that Old Testament law. What, what did Moses give to them? What did he say? And so in Leviticus 24, 19, 19 through 22, it says this. It says, if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner, the one traveling, the pilgrim, or for the native, the people living among you, for I am the Lord your God. And then in Exodus 21, 23, we see this even, even around the same time. It says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, wound or stripe for stripe. And so we know because of what we've read in the past that Jesus is about to kind of pivot a little bit, right? And so the thing that we have to understand, number one, is that if any, is anything Jesus says after this point, is it contradictory or is he ratifying what the law says? And the thing that we have to know is that no, that's not the case. It's not a contradictory, whatever he says beyond this point and how he kind of subverts expectation. But he's also bringing clarity to what the intentions were. You know, the thing that we forget sometimes and that our, our culture forgets is that our judicial system is built on biblical principles. 
The way at which we deal with things, the way at which now we don't do it perfectly and it's not handled perfectly and dealt with perfectly and it's not always the equivalent of what it should be and things are more complicated than they should be, but the Bible tells us that this, this judicial system, this way of making sure that the punishment and the crime were appropriate. That's why Moses was giving this law at this time. He wanted them to make sure that if someone has done something, it wasn't so much to make sure punishment happened. It was more so to make sure that the punishment was equivalent to the crime. Right? That if you stole someone's bread, that you weren't getting killed for it. Right? He says, you know, if you, if you accidentally, you know, uh, busted out, you know, busted a door of someone's home or, or accidentally did something crazy, you know, something like that, you, you know, you, you spilt the, the, the food or something like that, that you weren't murdered for it. He said, no, we're going to have an equivalent response, right? You're going to have, there's a, this judicial system that was being built up. And so that's the reason at which Moses is giving this law here in Leviticus and here in Exodus is to communicate the intentions for justice, making sure a punishment was equal to the crime that was applied in this judicial setting, that these things were being taken into consideration, that it was not more severe than the crime and that it was not lesser than needed. And so He's not denouncing the law, but he's bringing clarity to it. He's bringing clarity to it. And so, because the thing is, you know, in, in, in our culture, in every culture in the world, the, the governmental judicial system is meant to operate in a way that is for the common good of people. And so if there's not punishment, if, if there's not a judicial system, then there's anarchy, right? Then there's no authority, and there has to be. There needs to be guiding principles. And so that's why Moses, in all of these things that we've laid out leading up to this point, Moses has been laying these things out, giving guiding principles and navigating this space. And, and he's not, you know, denouncing the ideas of what the governmental system needs to do. Romans 13 talks about this a little bit in verses 1 through 3. You know, all these laws are meant to protect the vulnerable and, and to salvage relationships. And he tells us this in Romans. Paul writes this in Romans 13, 1 through 3. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And then verse 3, I love this verse here. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, right, but to bad. Because that's the intention, right? It's, it's not going to be a terror. It's not going to be uh, difficult for those who do good. It's going to be difficult for those who do bad. The judicial system, the way the system is being set up. And he says, would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. So these systems, Moses had given, given them these systems to establish moral standings, right? That what is right, what is wrong, and how to react and how to respond and to kind of redirect or re, uh, repurpose people in uh, situations when wrong has been done. Because if there's not, I mean, just like our kids, if our kids aren't told and redirected, and what they do wrong, if there's not a punishment that is, is, is equal to what they've done wrong to help redirect them, then they will continue to do the same things. And so what the Bible was telling them here is, is these are the appropriate things for these things. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You know, let's try to make that an equivalent. 
until as a nation, as a people, we can protect ourselves and we're called to, you know, utilize these authorities, utilize these laws and report to authorities when someone is breaking those laws for the protection, not only for ourselves, but also for other people. Because James talks about this a little bit. You know, a lot of times when we read this, we think about this in the, in the kind of the situation of personal relationships with people who are struggling with sin or, 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 or some kind of temptation in their life. But James 5.20 says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Listen, the judicial system at which God has established through the laws of Moses and carrying on through our culture can bring back sinners. These systems of correction are meant and these systems of authority and rules and laws are meant to also be utilized by God to redirect sinners from bad paths, from bad habits, from sinful behaviors. And so these things have intentions for good. Now, does man pervert and distort them? Absolutely they do. That's the, the kind of the ebb and flow of mankind all throughout history is that we take God's perfect creation and intentions and we distort it. doesn't make it any, any less important or any less valuable to the process at which God deals with us and how he leads us, but it is the reality of it. And so then, so why is Jesus mentioning this specifically? Why is Jesus talking about this right here specifically? Just like Jesus has done every other time, he brings it from this broader explanation of the general census in the public of the, the, the Israelite people and, and kind of the nations at large. And he wants to focus it down to relationships. Remember when we talked about anger, we talk about lust, when we talk about divorce, when we talk about our promises and oaths. All of those things have always focused back to the personal relationship that individuals have together. And so when Jesus is doing this, he's not contradicting the law, and he's not saying the law does not apply, but he's saying what I'm speaking to you right now, what I want you to know even more so than the overarching governing uh, authority above us is how we deal with each other. And he's saying how we deal with each other cannot be the same. And when he's speaking into the context of a relationship of believers to each other, to the church, as we navigate this life together, as we navigate even the people within our circles of influence. He's calling us to something. And then the last thing this morning, kind of focusing in on this, the first thing we kind of looked at was the law, but the last thing would be this, that he's teaching us to resist revenge. That thing within us that we just like to see, that thing that's built in within us that, that, that we, we, we believe is justice. Like we want to see justice. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we navigate some of the thought process of how we deal with other people on a personal level, it's not so much justice, but it's revenge. And Jesus knew that the religious leaders were using this law for that. And he knew that individuals, that people that we would use, if we could justify it, we would use God's good intentions for our benefit, for our own purposes and revenge. So what does he say? In verse 39, he says, but I say to you, remember Jesus establishing his authority. Listen, I don't know. I don't care what someone else told you. I don't care what you think you've known, but I say to you, and I, I love how Jesus just leans in. I say this every week when I read this, this phrase, 
but I say to you, man, I need that so much in my life. When I'm navigating situations, when I'm parenting, when I'm being a husband, when I'm just doing my job or living life, you know, I just, you know, we want to navigate on our own accord by our own, by our own kind of past. And I've got to be reminded constantly, Jesus saying, but I say to you, like you view it this way, but I say it to you. This is what I need you to know, Jake. This is how I need you to live it. This is how I need you to learn it. This is how I need you to do it. But I say to you, and he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So what Jesus is doing here is he's reframing something. He's reframing our approach to, relation, to relationships specifically. The spaces when we feel hurt and hurt and wronged. Right? To be hurt and wronged. Jesus, and what Jesus isn't telling us to do, and this is the thing we have to understand about this, what Jesus is not telling us to do is to allow ourselves to be physically abused over and over and over again. He's not telling us to physically allow ourselves to be beat and to be slapped. For them, Jesus is speaking and he's understanding that a slap to the face would have been a very deep insult, whether it was a physical slap or or just a deep insult of a verbal sense. He's speaking of insult. He's speaking of someone being hurt in this way. And so he's not telling us. He's speaking, you know, and the Bible uses this hyperbole or kind of this exaggeration of circumstances and situations to help us get a very clear view of something that's happening or something that's being done or how he's wanting to utilize an illustration. But he's wanting to communicate this deeper posture of how we approach these situations. And so what does he say? He says, do not resist the one who is evil. So what does it mean to resist? To resist someone means to dismiss. To resist someone means to avoid. Resist someone means to cast away. When Jesus says, do not resist, but turn to him, the other also. Remember, he's talking about a personal relationship. So let's come down to the ground. Personal relationships that we have with individuals that maybe have insulted us or done something insulting to us. Jesus says, do not resist. Resist, And so when we read the word evil person, we think of Hitler. Like, like that's what we associate evil with. But remember, evil is anything done on our own accord, separate from God. Evil is anything. Evil is, is anything that is, 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 is meant to have ill intent, that is meant to be harsh, that is meant to be abrasive, that is meant to be, uh, that is meant to be hurtful. So evil, you know, don't think of the, the, the loftiest view of evil. Think of evil in a sense of anything that is meant to be hurtful. And so he says, do not resist the one who is evil. So what is he saying? If he's speaking of it in personal relationships, he says, turn to the other also. This is an encouragement for us. This is an encouragement for us to lean in to the relationship, to turn the other cheek. Because to turn the other cheek, to show, he says, to give them the other one also. What do we have to do? For one, we have to be present, right? We have to be there. We have to be there. To offer the other also requires us to be in a stance of what? To be in a stance of vulnerability, right? 
Because I don't know about you, a defensive or aggressive stance, if I'm in a boxing match or a UFC match, I'm not going in cheeks first, right? I'm not setting myself up for a victory in that. So if we're offering our other cheek, what are we in? We are not in a defensive position. We are not in the position of an aggressor. We are in the position that is vulnerable. Allowing ourselves to be present. Allowing ourselves to be leaning in to the situation. It requires us to be near, not running away, to turn, to offer the other side. It requires us to be present, not absent, vulnerable, not defensive. He's showing us how to respond without retaliation. You know, and I love, Jesus takes these very extreme illustrations to show us and to prove a point of what He wants us to see and how He wants us to live out. He says, listen, your natural instinct is going to be retaliation. Your natural instinct is going to be revenge. Someone hurts you. Someone insults you. Something does something wrong to you. Your natural instinct is going to be to offer the same back. Our mindsets will go to tooth for tooth, for eye for eye, fracture for fracture, right? I've been hurt. You need to hurt. You've done wrong to me. Wrong needs to be done to you. You've insulted me. I need to insult you. And so what happens there? What happens there? Jesus is teaching against this mindset of retaliation. Why? Because to retaliate is to return a sponsor in like kind. And so if someone hurts us and we hurt them, we're getting even. You know, and, and I, I say this to my boys all the time. You know, I've got four boys in my house. It, it can be a little rowdy and it can be, you know, there's aggression and there's physicality and it's like over and over that he hurt me, he made me mad, I hit him, he hits me. And then I'll always have to tell him like, well, then who stops it, right? Like, who's going to decide? Because if it's blow for blow, then it's just going to continue to be blow for blow. You know, and it's the same thing in these relationships that we navigate when we've been hurt, when we've been insulted, and it, we go blow for blow with people. Who decides when it stops? Like, when, does, when do we jump off of the carousel of insults, of hurt, of pain, of distress, of anger, of bitterness. Like, when do we ever get off? And that's what Jesus is saying to the believer. He says, you be the one to stop the blows. Turn the cheek. Put the hands behind your back. Like, stop being the aggressor. We want it. We feel that this desire, it's like a sneeze. It's like that third sneeze, right? It's like you want it to come out and then someone runs up behind you and like, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, and you can't get it out and you just want to punch them right in the forehead. That's what it feels like when, we, when some, we've been wronged. We want it. We want to see them. We want to see them heard for it. We want to see them pay. But Jesus is saying, somebody's got to stop the blows. Somebody's got to stop. Remember, he's not telling us to stand and be physically abused. Listen, and, and Jesus is not speaking to this overly passive mindset where we just allow ourselves to be steamrolled constantly. That is not what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus calls us to stand up for the vulnerable. Jesus calls us to stand up for the hurting. So he is not telling us to do that. But in the, he's speaking. He went from the broader sense of the law, the judicial law, and he's bringing it more to personal interactions. And he says, someone's got to stop. Someone's got to stop the blows. So, so he tells them, get off of it. Get off the carousel. I read this quote this week. It says this. It says, psychologists tell us that violence is born of weakness. 
not strength. It is the strong man who can love and suffer hurt. It is the weak man who thinks only himself and hurts others to protect himself. Because what, what we begin to get into, and as we kind of wrap up, what we begin to get into is that retaliation in the sense of our personal relationships with people that we know, people that we love, or people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. Retaliation is us taking things into our own hands and refusing to rest in God's justice. Right? Refusing to rest in God's justice. Because we want to see justice in our timeline. Like, I want to see things happen the way I think they should happen within my time frame. Like, in this way, this type of punishment, they need to suffer this much, they need to experience this kind of disappointment or this kind of insult. But God calls us to a different approach, a different posture. He says in Romans 12, 19, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Proverbs 20, verse 22, he says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. Hebrews 10, 30, he says, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge His people. And then Romans 12, 22, he says, Do not be overtaken by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, that's challenging, right? When evil has happened, and remember, we're not talking about every Adolf Hitler evil. We're talking about the evils that come against us, the evils that hurt us, the evils that disappoint us, the evils that insult us, the evils that take advantage of us. He says, listen, don't overcome evil by evil. Because then the evil never stops. Someone break the cycle. Someone break the cycle of, of insult. Someone break the, the cycle of anger. Someone break the cycle of, 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 of hurt. Someone break the cycle. Because until we can get in that posture, until we can get in that mindset, then relationships never get to a point where we can begin to reconcile. Especially if it's people that weren't close to us or aren't our friends. People on the outside. People that we don't know personally. Right? It's especially easy for us to have that mindset of revenge and retaliation towards people that we don't really know. But what it does is when we have that posture, it never even allows us the opportunity to see what God can do in that relationship. How can I influence that person? How can I have make a difference in that person's life? How can I begin to see the Lord use me as a tool in their life if I constantly think they are where they are because of the mistakes they've made and they deserve it? Right? Have you ever thought that about someone? Have you ever seen someone and you thought to yourself, they are exactly where they are because of their own doing and they deserve every bit of it? And so then Jesus carries on, and I love where he goes from there. In verse 40, he says, let him have, he talks about, he says in verse 40, he says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You know, and the cloak was the outermost garment, and this garment was a lot more expensive than the tunic, though the one closer, more closer to the body. And so he's calling them to this posture, and so what, what was the first one? If you get slapped, offer the other cheek. And then he goes to another one and he says, if someone seeks to sue you for your tunic, give them your cloak also. So if we're being sued, then what has happened? We've done something wrong, right? I love how he went from they've done something wrong to 
I've done something wrong. Because of what he's teaching us is how to navigate those different situations. He says that they've slapped you and so they're wrong and this is how you deal with that. And then you've done wrong, obviously, because someone's coming against you. And so how does he say to navigate that situation? He says, doesn't, don't just give of yourself what is expected. Give more. Let's go above. If I've wronged somebody, I'm not just going to do what I need to do to pay the singular debt, emotional or monetary or whatever it is, whatever debt it is that I owe to them. Don't just pay that. He says, go above that to prove to them who you are, not in yourself, but in Christ Jesus, how Jesus' people work. Jesus' people work more than what's expected. I'm going to give more of myself than what's expected. I'm going to give more than what I think you want from me. Especially, and I love that, especially when I've done wrong. I'm not just going to do what I have to do to make the situation right. I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to give, you know, for them, that this cloak, this outer garment was pricey. I'm going to give the most expensive thing I have on me right now. I'm going to give it to you. I've done you wrong, and I'm sorry. I love that. I love how he says that. You know, navigating conflict, church, it requires us to have everything on the table. And I think that's why he mentions it. Like, if we hold things in, in higher value than resolving the conflict, then we'll never truly resolve the conflict. Because we, we have value. Usually it's value in our own pride, right? Our own uh, self-protection. And he says... To navigate this conflict, you've got to be willing to give, to give it. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 7, he says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. It's already a defeat to be in these arguments, to be in these conflicts. And then he continues on in verse 41. And he says, he says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And I love that. You know, you can see the relation, and, and, and I, I believe, I don't know if this is for sure, but I believe that this is where maybe we get the phrase, go the extra mile, right? Go the extra mile. You know, and, and what the situation was, and this is what we need to know about this. <clears throat> Man, those mornings when I sing and preach, it's rough. <clears throat> what, what this situation is referencing is when a Roman soldier would come into town they could ask, they could ask a citizen to carry their equipment, carry their stuff for them up to a mile. I mean, obviously they didn't measure it in miles, but for us, miles. And so they could go, you know, and granted, they did not like each other. The Romans and the Jews, the Israelites, they, they did not like each other. And so a Roman soldier would go and he would say, hey, you got to carry my stuff up this hill a mile. And so that person would have to grab it and carry it up. And so what does Jesus say? He says, I'm not just going to go a mile. Go two miles. For this person that you don't like, that you feel has taken advantage of you. And so what is he teaching here? What is he telling us? 
He's teaching us this posture of selflessness, not self-interest, but a posture of outpouring and not storehousing, right? Giving of ourselves like that's the only way. When he's talking about resisting revenge, the only way we can resist revenge and wanting to see other people hurt for what they've done to us and to navigate situations of conflict resolution is to give of ourselves, to give of what is viewed as expensive, to push ourselves a little further, go the extra mile than what's expected to make it right or to do our task. He says, push yourself beyond these moments. And then he moves from that into the last portion here. And he says, give to the one who begs and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. It's so strange that that's where we land. But I think it's such a beautiful truth. That we've started at me getting hurt, me hurting someone else, me being used, and someone needing something from me. He's navigating us down this path of selflessness, right? Refusing to hurt when you've been to hurt someone else when you've been hurt. Acknowledging above and beyond when you've hurt someone else to make it right. Helping someone, even if you don't like them, to get to a, from point A to point B. And then the last thing, giving to the person who begs, who's in need, who, ha- who has a need that you have a, an ability to fill. Because he's moving us to these points where we're not looking into it for what we get back for it. Luke 6:34 He says and if you lend to those from you uh, from whom you expect to receive what credit is that to you even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount and then in 1 Timothy 6:18 he says they are to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share so why why is Jesus teaching us this posture why is he teaching us this posture Because Jesus is teaching us a gospel posture. Christ exemplified all these characteristics. Christ exemplified all these characteristics, not allowing His own reasons for revenge. And Jesus would have had many. There's a reason why mankind, for one, because we're not God, but why mankind was not given the task to do what Jesus had to do. Because what would we want? We'd have wanted to see Him pay. Right? Like, we'd have wanted to see him pay. We would have wanted to be the Clint Eastwood in the story, right? We would have wanted to be the Liam Neeson in the story, right? Like, I have a particular set of skills and I'm coming after you kind of people, right? Like, that's who we would have wanted to be. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said there's a task to be done. Jesus said there's a task to be done and a kingdom to be built. And Christ exemplified restraint He he had plenty of reasons for revenge and retaliation to distract him from the greater goal of his time on earth, and he did. And so I want us to think about this as as the team comes up, and we're going to worship together as we end, that we consider this. That we consider the gospel posture that Jesus calls us to, and that we remember something. We remember something about revenge and retaliation in a sense of how Christ has dealt with us. Because I don't know about you. 
You know, and, and, and I think about a, a country song that I was listening to this week when I think about this. But when I think about me and how I would have treated me in the life that I've lived, I would have made sure that I knew the shame that I needed to feel for the ignorance and the decisions that I've made in my life, right? I would have made sure that I'd have paid for what I'd done wrong. I'd have made sure, I'd have made sure that I knew how bad I'd hurt other people. I'd have made sure that I'd have known the punishment that was deserved of me, right? I would have made sure that I would have known that this is your mess, Jake. This is your chaos. This is your shame. I'd have made sure because that'd have been the revenge in me. You need to know it. You need to experience it. But church, we can be thankful that Christ didn't view us that way. Christ said, it's your mess, and you need to know it's your mess, but I'll take it. It's your shame. It is. That's part of repentance, understanding. You've done things wrong, but I'll wear the punishment for it. There's this chasm. There's this gap between you and God that your sin and, and wrongs have created from birth. Says, I'll bridge that gap. I'll carry you across so that you can know God, so that you can experience God. I read this prayer this week. It said, I'm so glad you didn't get even with me, Father. For all the ways I rebelled and do rebel against you. For all the ways I've chosen my gain over your glory. For all the ways I've misrepresented you to the world, even to my own heart. You didn't get even, but you got generous with us through the gospel. May Jesus' cross keep me humble and patient and wise and longing for the day when you put all things right. I don't want to waste precious time nursing grudges, fueling self-pity, or gloating over an enemy's demise. Fill my heart with your grace and praise. So very amen, I pray in Jesus' merciful and mighty name. Church, revenge robs us of our Savior's perspective on grace and giving. And I pray that we can enter into this space of our lives with this perspective. Listen, it doesn't mean that Jesus has called us to be used and abused. That is not what He's called us to do. He's not called us to be a doormat. But what He has called us to do is to be pursuing this perspective of grace when we deal with people view people around us. That we would not see the wrongs that they've done and desire to see them pay for it. That just the way Christ has done for us, Christ has viewed us with overflowing grace and generosity. That when we view ways to navigate when I've been wrong, when I've wronged, when I've been called to help someone I don't like, or when I've been called to help someone I don't know, that I view this with a perspective of grace. So church, if you would, stand with us. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together this morning. And I just want to ask you and invite you to just be challenged. Be challenged where you are. Be challenged who you are. Be challenged in your relationship with God. Be challenged in your relationship with others. Be challenged in the perspective at which you view people, the way you view the world. Do you view the needy? Do 
you view the hurting, you view the sinful, you view those who are just wallowing in their own shame, that we would not view them, or maybe we even need to not view ourselves as the people who are getting exactly what they deserve, but we would be reminded that Christ has offered us something greater, and that's His grace. That if we would believe in Him, put our faith in Him, that He says He will save us, He will deliver us from the weight of our sin and shame that as believers, that if we will come and confess that He is faithful and just to forgive and redirect and straighten up our crooked paths. So church, let's seek Him together this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for this morning. God, we thank You so much for the grace that You give to us. God, we thank You so much for the truths of Your Word that speak a greater truth to us than the truths we've known or the truths we've been taught, or the truths we think we believe, God. Lord, help us see through the brokenness of people, God, to see the value of what You can do. And God, most of all, Lord, let us see that within ourselves. God, if our own shame and our own hurts and our own disappointments and our own guilt are holding us back from truly following and pursuing You, God, let us see, God, that You're not seeking revenge for us. God, you're seeking restoration for us. God, you're inviting us to a table with a meal prepared. And you say, come and feast. Father God, we just love you. God, I pray that as we sing this morning, that we could have time, Lord, to just worship you, to seek and pursue you in all the ways you've called us to. We love you. Thank you. Praise you. In Jesus' name.